as I mentioned earlier, Brad Dacus with us here this morning. And uh, once again, Brad has been handling religious freedom and parental rights cases since the early 1990s. Uh, in 1997, he established the Pacific Justice Institute and has been handling, once again, religious freedom and parental rights cases since that point in time. Um, Brad received his law degree from the University of Texas. He's married, has two kids, a boy 16 or thereabouts, and a girl 14 thereabouts. Uh, once again, he's an expert in the field. It's a real blessing to have him here. So please give Brad a nice, warm Concord Bible Church welcome. Thanks, Brad. You know, I was, I was thinking, Nancy and I have been here for 27 years attending. Um, and I know that we've had more than one lawyer on the platform at the same time, but this might be the first time we had two Brads. So <laughs> is that cool or what? You know, life doesn't get any better than that. Um, so our format this morning is for, I'm going to go over some questions with Brad and uh, get his input and he's going to share. Um, at some point, we're going to cross over and have you ask some questions. So be thinking about those. The number on the screen, supposed to be a phone number. <laughs> is there the, the, yes, the number? Yes. Sorry. There There's a number. So we're pretty high tech. So if, while we're speaking, while Brad's speaking, then if you have any sort of questions that you want to text, you can do so and it'll go to Steve and then we can bring those up and we can do wow. both the text questions and also the live questions with the mic. So that's pretty nice. Huh? So, well, Brad, once again, it's great to have you here and to get to meet you and spend some time this morning. Um, well, can you tell us about the Pacific Justice Institute and how it came about? Yes. Uh, I, I first sort of give you a little bit of my background. Uh, I became a Christian when I was in third grade, and uh, that's when I was uh, first baptized of Pomona, and they did the altar call, and I realized I was a sinner, and I went down that altar, and parents said, where's Brad, Brad go? Where's, oh, you know. and, uh, and I became a little zealot for Jesus. My first case was uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, my, I discovered our, our, our library in our elementary school, Sumner Elementary, did not have a Bible. And so I took it on to petition to get a Bible put into that elementary school library, and they did. And a children's living Bible, I thought, wow, this is really good. So anyway, I guess I got carried away. But um, the, uh, anyway, but then I was 16, though, was something really instrument, very important happened in my life. And I have to share this because uh, it's, it's such a, a foundation of how God, I think, equipped me for what I'm doing now. I was driving to school in a little Opal GT, and I was going up a hill, and a motorcycle was passing cars coming from the other direction. And he hit me head on, and a little Opal, if it was a big truck, it would have been all of his hurt, injury, none of mine. But it was an Opal GT, which sort of goes close to the ground. Motorcycle went up, and it's smashing through my windshield, smashed through my my head, my skull it was very gruesome accident, and uh, and uh, I almost almost died. Uh, parents were told your son's had major brain damage. Even if he lives, he still could be a vegetable. You may still have to pull the cord. End quote. And God had other plans, and uh, I ended up, uh, of course, living. This has all been reconstructed. The left side. It's sort of nice that I turned to the left because I saved the right, so they can have a reference point of the way the other side's supposed to look. That's why I've got hard silicon and hip bone grafting, and I really messed up the song, you know, hip bones. Can, anyway, the bone song, you know. Okay, never mind. But a little joke there. Okay. But um, 
and uh, they, they had a large hole, brain swelled. But the interesting thing is that that part of the brain deals with logic, reasoning, analytical thinking, and speech communications. And uh, God has a sense of humor in how he works because I received my undergrad in finance, uh, 3.85 in my major, put myself through undergrad as part-time real estate agent, worked a couple of years, and put myself through law school at the University of Texas, one of the top 20 in the country, graduated top half of my class. And the only explanation the doctors could give was that uh, they said, well, Brad, you must have been a genius. That's the only... These are neurospecialists. They said, the only explanation we have is that you must have been a genius prior to your accident. And the funny thing was, I never made the Mentally Gifted Minds program. Because <laughs> you have to get a, a 140 or above on your IQ test. And here's a, the funny thing. Three and a half years after my accident, I took an IQ test out of curiosity. And the score that I got was exactly a 140. And it was sort of like the Lord telling me, Brad, stop looking at yourself. It's about me. It's not about you. And, um, and but God taught me about his love. Um, he taught me about his grace. Because we don't deserve anything. We don't deserve anything. Any of our, we have our abilities. Those are all given by, by God as a gift for a time and for a purpose. Uh, it's his sovereignty that I really can't put my total trust in him completely. Um, that he's with me even in the darkest and most horrific of times. He's there with me and working it for his, for his pleasure and for his purpose and for his glory. And, uh, and then you say also that he's, he, he's powerful. And that even though we have a lot of modern conveniences and a lot of technology, this, this technology, sometimes I think we think, boy, I wonder if God understands technology. He understands everything. And he is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he can still work and do miracles how he wishes, not as we demand, okay? <laughs> I've seen people go down that route. God's not a spigot. We just command and turn it on and off. He is God. We're not. But he is an awesome and powerful God that can do wonderful things and can not only change lives spiritually, but do all kinds of things in our lives as well. So that was my foundation. And finally, it was humility, realizing that uh, before my accident, I thought um, being, uh, being, a, being humble was like, you know, being awesome, but just not bragging about it. You know, it's like, you know, I know I'm, I know I'm cool. I know I'm awesome, but I don't want to brag about it. So you, you tell me how awesome I am. And I'm going to say, oh, no, no. That's how, that's how a, a teenager, I think, may look at it possibly, at least as I looked at it. And God taught me, you no, know, humility is realizing that without God, we're nothing. Zero. With God, we're everything. Giving glory where glory's due is humility. Recognizing it all goes to him. And uh, that's a huge, wonderful realization when we get that. Because then I think we're open for more for God to use us. And we realize it's not about us and we don't take ourselves that seriously. So that's a little bit of my story. And then I went to law school. Instead of going to seminary, I was going to go to law school. But instead, I prayed about God's calling. Strong desire to go to law school, not to go to seminary. Really messed up my expectations. Because when people get spiritual and they're seeking God, they're supposed to be called to ministry. I mean, God's desperate, right? <laughs> no, I get this strong desire to go to law school. I told my dad, he says, son, what does God need a lawyer for? I mean, you sure you got this right. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. It was really funny. Because I was Brad, the preacher. I, was, I told my, wrote my pastor a letter in third grade. I was going to be a pastor and take his place someday. I mean, I would just, seriously. <laughs> and he read it to the congregation. But no, God had his, his way. And, and, uh, and so I went to, to law school. And uh, some neat things happened while I was in law school. And, uh, and then I had a strong desire to do this kind of work. And God opened up those doors. I was with Rutherford Institute for five years. Opened an office for them. And after five years... They, uh, they shut down the offices. They had to scale back. 
and they uh, told me, some, Brad, we're going to uh, promote you to open our public affairs office in Washington, D.C. You'll be the media point man for all our cases. I said, yes. Then I had insomnia. So I continued to have insomnia until finally I said, oh, great, I've got to pray about this. And I didn't want to pray because I knew if I, when I prayed, I'd probably be challenged to do something I didn't want to do because I love security. How many people like here, like, really like security? You love security? Anyone like here like this? Okay, that's me, right here, right here. And um, so anyways, it turns out I, I, um, I prayed about it. As soon as I prayed, the, the, the direction that God put on my heart was the question was, what desires has God put on your heart? And the desires was to make sure people got the help they needed here on the West Coast. So with boldness and courage, I said, yes, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do on several conditions. Number one, I need free office space, free computer system. Keep me on the radio stations for free. We have to be in the black in just three months, and I'm not going to charge anyone any time for any work we ever do. I thought I was very reasonable with my requirements. <laughs> and um, God came through in everything, and, um, and it was, it's awesome. Um, Pacific Justice was born. It's his, it's his baby, and it's uh, really great how he forces us to put our trust in him and so he can really shine in our lives, and we can see his, his grace. And uh, it's been exciting. And now we have uh, five, four offices and one satellite office in California, including one in the Bay Area, one in Sacramento. And uh, our radio show, uh, The Dacus Report, is heard on 80 stations now across the country. Our commentary is heard on 460 stations across the country. And uh, it's, it's really exciting what God's doing. So that's the overview of of where I, of my, of my background and how I got into doing what I'm doing. Well, that's great. Well, well let me ask you. Just and most you... of it's true, too. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, we that's follow a, the 80... a lawyer joke. Just so... Yeah, we follow the 80-20 rule, so, you know, yeah, you yeah. Pick which 80 is. No, um... it's all true. It's all true. So just really quick, you know, we've got a number of, of, of folks in college and stuff. You said just briefly that some, some, some fun things, some interesting things happened in law school. Oh, yes. Do you have a story you can share? Oh, yes. It's, just, it's an encouragement when you're going through that, sometimes you think that God can't work when you're in public school or you're in law school or graduate school, but he does, right? Oh. He's not threatened by, you know, that sort of educational situation. So we didn't oh, talk no. about this, but when you said that... Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it's true. I, I, I love Christian schools and Christian education, and my kids, I'm hardcore. I want them to go to, like, Biola or some solid Christian school because I'm paranoid, okay? But uh, at what we have in California. But... Uh, but no, it was absolutely fantastic what got opened up. One was the fact they had a big display, big octagon glass display in front of the law school library. It's sort of connected with the law school, so it's all enclosed in one building. And they had this called, it was called the free speech, and they had all this vulgar stuff, porn and all this stuff in it. And it just riled me. And I went and talked to the person in the library, and I said, uh, so uh, this free speech display you have here, I says, uh, is anything reserved for next month? Do you have anything for next month? He goes, no, not yet. I said, okay, great. I'd like to reserve next month. He goes, oh, no, no, it's just the library. It's just what we decide to do. I said, oh, so it's, it's your free speech and no one else's? Is that what you call free speech? Okay. So, uh, yeah, I had that in me, just so you know. There's a reason God, I'm a lawyer, okay? So he goes, okay, well, up, okay, talk to the head, okay. And he says, okay, fine, I'll we'll let you do it. But what are you going to put in? I said, well, does it matter? Are you going to engage in subject matter discrim- viewpoint discrimination? Fine. Do what you want. So, so be, question, be careful when you ask him questions later on. Okay? Yeah, no, you no. Know, just, it's a warning. I, I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. Really, I am. I, am, I, I love to sue people. What's your name again? No, oh, I'm sorry. Just, but um, anyway, so uh, he said, just do whatever you want. So I'm like, oh, this is awesome. What are we going to do? This is so great. 
So a, a friend of mine, we got together, and we said, what do, we, what do you need here? What was impacting 1,500 uh, future lawyers that were attending that law school, second largest in the country, judges, lawyers. So he put up a display. It was called, uh, Where Does Life Begin? And it was Time Life magazine pictures of the unborn. When does life begin with descriptions? All put up in it. And, um, and every law student had to pass by that every day to and from the library. And uh, that was one thing. Another thing we did is I wanted to reach out and evangelize. So we uh, did a seminar. I did, I did a seminar uh, for um, 48 freshmen attended. It was how to prepare for final exams. And because they're, they're petrified, which everyone should be, you know, final exams. It's like one big test and kaboom, you know. So I went through, and I went, it was very substantive, all the things, you know, the professor's not telling you this, but forget the dissenting opinion, it doesn't really matter, just read the majority, and that's what you're going to be tested on. Went through all this stuff, and I said, finally, is stress. One of the most important things is, is dealing with your stress. It can consume you, it can inhibit your sleep ability, you be able to concentrate, retain. And then I stepped in front of the podium, and I said, now, all I can share with you is how I deal with stress. And then I shared Christ and what it means to have a personal relationship with the Lord. Da, da, da. I said, if you like information, just check at the bottom, on your little evaluation form, check that box, in the, and I'll be happy to talk to you afterwards. And one guy checked that box, and he prayed with me to receive Jesus in that law school library. And um, really ruined Satan's day. I'm sure he's, he's really comfortable in that place. But, um, but it, was, it was so exciting that he came to Christ. And I'm just thinking, if I'd gone to a Christian law school, would we've had these opportunities? And, and the... And the and the, the professors, I had a professor who spent the whole year, the whole year teaching us how might is right, whoever's in power wins, there is no right and wrong, there's nothing above the law of a state to hold us accountable. Dangerous, right? And he, and he was a Jewish background, although he wasn't a practicing Jewish professor, I could tell by his philosophy, very much an atheist. And at the end of class, a lot of students were all gathered around, and I said, Professor, I just want to test what you've said, so I'm going to make sure I know what you believe. So... If might is right and whoever's in power wins, then you would have invalidated the Nuremberg trials against the Nazi war criminals because that was premised upon the laws of nature and nature's God, the laws of humanity, not the laws of the state of Germany. So you would have let them all go free because there's nothing by which they could be held accountable since they were acting under the laws of the state. And his deep intellectual response was, uh, you know, I really don't have time to answer that. I got to go. And he just ran out. And I told us, I said to all the students there, I says, if he doesn't believe it, why should any of us? And uh, so it was, it was just a, a back and forth. Then an ACLU professor was teaching us about uh, employment law and religious freedom. And, and he said, you know, like the, the freedom from religion clause in the Constitution. Excuse me, professor, isn't it freedom of religion? Oh, yes, yes, that's right. Freedom of religion. Yes, yeah, I got that. Yeah. So it was just a continual. So when you're... So I love to see Christians who are fully equipped. And you just see how it's, it's, it's great having Christian schools. I love Christian schools. My kids are in a Christian school. But at the same time, I give high accolade to those who are out there in public schools as teachers, administrators, and out there impacting the world for Christ. Because uh, that's, we need to be engaging. So that's a long, long yeah, answer. That's, that's great. See, I drink coffee, and this is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so. so, Brett, what, what are some cases... In, I know this could be a, an answer that could take four hours. But, I'll, I'll shrink them, yes. Um, so what are some cases that the Pacific, Justitude, the Pacific Justice Institute has been involved in and, and in your mind made a difference? Yeah, uh, some of the most significant successes. Uh, first was dealing with 
um, the, the rights of churches to build, grow, and expand as God calls them to in spite of a local hostile government. Uh, of course, I'm sure here in the Bay Area you can't re- relate to that. But um, In fact, is San Francisco Bay Area is the most hostile, most intolerant place in the country that I'm exposed to as far as to people of faith and religious freedom. Um, very hostile. And, I, uh, and I've said that before on radio. I said this Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area is probably the most intolerant, bigoted place in the country when it comes to people of faith. And Because uh, they don't see it. It's just, you know what I'm talking about. It's just a, sort of an assumption and a mindset. Um, and yet, uh, it's a place where the gospel is needed so much. And churches need to, to, to take the hill so much. And so when government says, no, we don't want you on this hill. We don't want you on any hill. We don't want you in our town. That's a, that's a huge stumbling block for the kingdom because God's word talks about the church. He, he gave us a real good prescription. There's no ambiguity there. So uh, we had a case against the city of San Leandro where it really came to a head. Uh, the city of San and a church wanted to move into a, a building it bought. It was a commercial building. And uh, the city said, no, no, we're not going to let you move in that building. And uh, the, making a long story short, uh, we had to sue. Uh, the judge from San Francisco, from San Francisco, uh, ruled against the church on all seven points, justified keeping out those church people. And we had to appeal it to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. I know what you're thinking. What good thing can come from the Ninth Circuit? I know what you're thinking. But in, if we remember in the Old Testament how God can speak through a donkey... Anyway, so the Ninth Circuit, to my surprise, to my total shock and surprise, I thought we weren't going to win. There's no way. They reversed all seven points and gave us the strongest case law precedent of any circuit in the country for the rights of churches to build and occupy contrary to zoning laws or zoning codes and ordinances. And uh, it was absolutely a, a major groundbreaking. It has enabled us to break through and help churches after churches after churches occupy and build and expand and, uh, and move into places where, you know, because church, basically a hot local government is the number one curtailment for church growth and expansion. Not lack of members or money. It's usually hostile local government. And um, so that was a huge breakthrough. Another one was the rights of homeschooling uh, parents. Uh, a, uh, it's, we've, it was sort of a, uh, how do you say it? It's sort of like a, 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 a fight that we knew was going to happen. You know, it was, uh, it was just when it was going to happen. The Department of Education, State Superintendent of Public Instruction, the Attor- Attorney General were saying homeschooling is illegal unless you're a credential teacher. That was their position. And they were hardcore. California was one of the riskiest states in the country to homeschool in because it was the most radical in terms of its limitations based upon those ent- entities. And then we had an earlier attorney general, Dan Lundgren, who said, no, homeschooling is legal. And a lot of people, homeschoolers, were increasing and increasing and increasing. Well, the battle finally came, and it came through actually through juvenile court, so we didn't have a warning where it was because that's all confidential. But then when it, hit, it came up on appeal, it, we discovered it. Three judges declared it's illegal to homeschool in California unless you're a credential teacher. And uh, we at Pacific Justice Institute defended the homeschooling program and intervened in the case, and we argued it. Uh, Michael Ferris, also, he argued the case for one of the parents, who was a great uh, partnership in that case. The, um, and, then to, and then we argued it, and they, they, they agreed to rehear the case, which was the first miracle. Three men who black robes, judges, sitting up high, 
acknowledging they might have been wrong, okay? <laughs> Huge. I've never seen three judges rehear their own case after a decision ever in my life practicing law. They said, we're going to rehear the case. Then they rehear the case. I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be great. Then they tear us to pieces. I mean, it was so bad. Our attorney who argued the case, Kevin Snyder, who's one of, fantastic, one of our fantastic litigators, uh, he, he said, we lost. I said, well, did they say we lost? He goes, no, they didn't have to. We lost. We got to qu- start preparing the appeal to appeal to the state Supreme Court. Um, we lost. And so it was really looking gloomy. And people would say, well, how's it going to go? I said, well, we, if we've lost unless God intervenes. All I can say is pray. It's the only hope we have is pray. And homeschoolers, they prayed. And the, ni- and, uh, the appellate court, those three judges, reversed themselves 3-0 and said it is legal to homeschool without being a credentialed teacher, and it burst open the doors. So homeschooling is booming like never before, and I'm so glad because it's, especially here in the Bay Area, it's saving a lot of kids. So those are two big cases, and then there was the In God We Trust that was challenged as being unconstitutional, and uh, we got that reversed in the Ninth Circuit. Uh, that was a, a great decision and a great upholding of, the, our, of our national model, God We Trust. Actually, the lower court also revolt, ruled the proper way, but the Ninth Circuit ruled the proper way. And since that time, we've teamed up and we've helped start a ministry called In God We Trust America, where they are working, reaching out to local governments to post our national motto, In God We Trust, on their city council chambers and school board meeting, uh, meeting rooms. And over 600 of these local government entities have now posted In God We Trust as a reminder that there is a higher law that they will all be held accountable to in how they govern. So those are just three examples. I could, there's others I could give you that, you know, um, you know kids, uh, one more. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just gotta, you gotta, this is a great one. This last year, up in uh, Everett, Washington, uh, see, I love it when kids in public schools stand up for Jesus. And our kids, I see, I see more boldness. More boldness. As, as there's more oppression, I see more boldness for Jesus. And uh, he came to Christ. He was a high, senior in high school. And when he came, when his high schooler comes to Jesus, they're the most awesome Christians. They're just like, they get it, you know? And they're just like, they, they want to share it. And he's sharing his faith during lunchtime and in between classes, giving out gospel tracts. And he's told, you can't do this. So they suspend him. So he comes back to school. They think he's learned his lesson. He's sharing the gospel, the gospel tracts. And they bring him back into the, uh, the office. He said, this is what they told me. He says, didn't we tell you not to share your faith? Didn't we make it clear you can't do this? Now, what does that give you an analogy of? The early church, right? And the apostles, they said, didn't, you know, the Jewish story, didn't we tell you you can't do this? You know? And they said, we're going to do this. We, you know, nothing can keep us from sharing the good news of Jesus, no matter what you do to us. And that was his response. He says, I cannot help but share the good news of Jesus. They suspend him again. And then we're contacted to represent him. Then he's come back to school. They suspend him a third time. They're beginning permanent expulsion proceedings. We go into federal court. The judge refuses to grant the temporary restraining order we're, we're seeking, which is not good. So there's no injunctive relief granted. We take it to full trial on the merits. And to my surprise, I'll be honest, I thought we were going to lose this. The judge held it was unconstitutional what they were doing. And that was this last year. So I still, I still see, we've seen more successes the last three years in terms of case law victories than we have since our inception back in 1997. Even though there's a growing intensity, there's still a lot of victories. So there you go. That's great. Those are four examples. That's great. We're going to shift just a little bit, but when we open it up for questions, there's, there's other cases out there that you may be interested in. From 
transgender bathroom use to the recent abortion. Other things that come up to your mind, you can, we can ask questions as we have time. And, yeah. um, but I wanted to kind of shift more over to this idea of, of, a, of a biblical worldview. And, um, and, and, and how, in your view, does a biblical worldview factor into politics? Because at first blush, it's almost like oil and water, that they, they, they don't. That's what the world wants to tell us. But I'm not sure if that's your answer. Yeah, no, it's not my answer. <laughs> yeah, uh, the um, here's what I think is so important: is we have to ask ourselves. Um, nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture does it say, uh, "Follow the Lord Jesus Christ, make Him Lord of your life," unless you go into public service. I never hear the "unless you go into public service" anywhere, anywhere in this word. And so God wants us to live our life for Christ. Um, not to uh, not to hide it and not to be pleasers of men. Galatians uh, 1, 9, and 10 say it makes it very clear that you cannot be both pleasers of men and pleasers of God. And a true godly politician is one who always puts the Lord first in the biblical worldview. Now, we have to be relevant in how we communicate it. You know, when we use God talk, we can't expect people to understand God talk. When I was in third grade, my teacher called my parents and said, we got a problem with your son. He's speaking in Old English. You need to get him a different Bible. <laughs> and if she hadn't done that, I would be very irrelevant today if I kept speaking in Old English, you know. So God wants us to be relevant in how we make our case and how we... Re- but, he, but our reference point is still where it is. Um, and when we stand before the Lord, there's no exemption, I, I believe, for um, if we... Oh, you're in public service. Jesus is going to say, oh, you're public service. Oh, I understand. I totally understand. You had to get reelected. Totally get it. That's not going to happen. And, uh, and so I don't think, I think we as Christians, when we look at our people in public service, we need to have, um, to see things, I think, the way God sees it. And we need to hold them accountable from a Christian worldview, biblical worldview. We also, at the same time, a little caveat, we need to be very careful not to put our trust in men and our politicians and say, oh, they are the, the ones. I remember when Pat Robertson was running for president. I was a young whippersnapper back then. I said, oh, yes, we'll get him elected. We'll save America. And that was really, I think, the wrong perspective because that's not the prescription of saving America. Um, it's for people to come to Jesus. And, um, and so we also need to not put a false hope in people elected either. I think that's really important. Okay. Well, let me ask then, then. Is, is it... Is it the, the, the church's responsibility to teach God's truth or tell people how to vote? Yeah. Uh, first, I always thought if the church is teaching God's word, they don't have to worry about teaching people how to, how to vote if they clearly apply God's word. But teaching God's word is also is teaching part of its responsibility that we have as, as Christians, as followers of the Lord. Um, to to not be timid and proclaim his word. I love this this passage um, in, uh, let's see if I have it here, convenient there. If I mismarked it, I mismarked it. Anyway, Ezekiel 3.18, uh, for, for summary, for time purpose. Um, in Ezekiel 3.18, you'll see a, a clear exhortation where it says basically, um, you know, if we, if you uh, decide to, to share Christ, or excuse me, not share Christ, that's the Old Testament, um, but it says um, that, that um, if you do not warn the wicked of his wicked ways, 
um, that he may live. Uh, his blood I'll require at your, on your hand. Uh, in other words, there's a responsibility for us uh, to not to be silent, but to be faithful with the truth that we've been given. And that applies with how we, how we vote. Um, I, I, people say, well, you know, voting is t- it's about tactical things and God will take care of the world. Well, yeah, he will take care of them. He, he gets his, his way in the end. He doesn't lose any sleep on election day. Why should we, you know? Uh, but on the flip side, we can't forget our testimony. Get this. If a church is truly filled with the love of Christ, truly filled with the love of Christ, it's going to care about people outside these walls. It's going to care about people in this community. It's going to care about people in this state and in this country. You're going to care. You can't help but care if you're filled with the love of Jesus. And if we truly care, we're going to vote. Voting is a barometer to whether or not we really care. And it's also a, a statement of our testimony as to whether or not we care. Nothing is worse than statistics that say Christians don't vote because it means Christians don't care. And Christians who don't care really don't have a love that's relevant. And that's, I think, what it comes down to. That's why we have to, to vote and apply God's word in everything we do. In everything we do, we, we need to glorify the Lord. Is it possible for solid Christian believers to vote for different candidates? As long as they vote the way I want them to, no. <laughs> I think, no. Um, yeah, the, uh, the, the answer is yes, um, in a way. Um, there's sometimes we have elections where you get candidates and they say different things in jargon and we just got to pray and seek, seek God's direction and say, okay, who, do you, who should I vote for? Who is going to adopt policies, procedures, laws that are reflective of your righteousness and also of your love and your compassion? You know what I'm saying? Who's going to do that? Uh, and sometimes it's, it's, it's gray. Sometimes it's like, gosh, it's tweedledee, tweedledum, you know? Um, you know, you... You can have one with pending criminal charges and another one that you're not sure what's going to happen and you've got all this stuff, you know. But um, in the end of the day, though, today and today's society is becoming easier and easier because unlike, say, 50 years ago, when there was a lot of, of gray in terms of just policy, you know, just different ways of getting different to the same conclusions, we now have policies and issues that God's Word is really clear on. I mean, really decisively clear. And so when we vote for someone, we're in essence taking responsibility for those policies and procedures that are taken and put into place. And it can deal with uh, caring for the poor properly, properly. It could deal with uh, the unborn and whether or not they're going to be continued to be uh, not protected and killed or or euthanasia. Uh, We have serious um, euthanasia that we see being implemented. I can talk about one of those cases, you know, a bit if you want. But... um, Mm -hmm. Uh, serious, you know, what does God say about marriage and the family? And people say, oh, that's political. It doesn't matter if it's political. If it's in the word of God, we can't ignore it. So, so I think, so those are things that we, we need to look at. Like Israel. What does God say about Israel? If you, if you, I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you. I mean, those are no, no those are non-negotiables. So I think we need to look at God's word. We apply God's word. And more times than not, in today's society, it's pretty decisive, I think. Uh, it's pretty easy to make those, those decisions. What is really terrible, and I've seen this before, is where you have Christians saying, yeah, those are important issues, but what's more important to me is my own economic interests. Whether I'm going to get this entitlement or whether I'm going to have this economic opportunity, 
And I think God is, is really displeased with that because that means we're not living for him and his righteousness. We're living for our own interests. And, uh, and I've seen that, and it breaks my heart. Um, you know, it's, that's real important for us to, to not put ourselves above God, God's righteousness and what he thinks is important. So that's, that's my take. Good. Amen. Thank you. Um, can, can you describe, and we're kind of jumping all over, but it's that kind of topic, uh, that kind of subject matter, uh, with the upcoming presidential election, can, can you describe for us an, the importance that this president will play in the structure of the Supreme Court moving forward, which, you know, is the, 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 the chief, you know, court in the land. And mm-hmm. so with, with Justice Scalia passing uh, several months ago, um, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was actually concerned about Justice Scalia um, this time last year because we had some great cases. The most important cases that I've seen in my lifetime coming for the Supreme Court and I remember looking at him thinking, he's, I hope he's getting his exercise. I remember telling him to one of the people I was speaking to, just pray for Justice Scalia that he stays in good health. Because these cases are so important. I do not want God taking him too early. And God has his, God's God. So he takes as he takes. You know, he knows our days. And um, because the stakes were so high in terms of some of the cases, and religious freedom cases um, that we've seen just recently. Uh, like in the businesses, basically affirming a pharmaceutical business, family-owned. You have to choose between your faith and being willing to keep stay in business. I mean, these are kinds of things that we shouldn't have a court affirming uh, or allowing to stand. So when this happened, uh, the good thing about it, though, is that it makes it very clear, the stakes in this election. No one can be blind. No one can say after the fact, gosh, I never really thought through the impact on the Supreme Court. We all know that whoever's put in the White House will have probably at least two appointments, Scalia's replacement and Ginsburg. Uh, Ginsburg has been holding on for a long time, and I do not believe she can hold on and serve, continue to serve for another four years. I don't. Um, and, uh, and that will be a decisive court as to uh, lots and lots of issues, dealing with the sanctity of human life, uh, dealing with religious freedom like we've never seen before. Uh, huge cases on dealing with religious freedom. Um, and uh, so I, I, I think uh, that in the respect of the Constitution so uh, versus the arbitrary whim of, of act, judicial activists deciding for themselves what they want. So uh, this, to me, the most important issue is the Supreme Court. Uh, this election is probably the most decisive in terms of the Supreme Court. And the, the number one issue in terms of impact is going to be the Supreme Court. So for me... When I ask the question, who should I vote for, to me is the Supreme Court and what do I believe is going to have the best impact for having the, the people who are going to be the most righteous in the appointments with regard to judges, not only the Supreme Court, but also the circuit court and the district court. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had a major case, cases, several cases we've argued for the Ninth Circuit. And I don't know how they're going to turn out, but I know all three judges were appointed uh, by someone who has a different philosophy worldview than I do. And I'm very concerned about those cases and how they're going to turn out. One um, of uh, real quick is the uh, the crisis pregnancy centers being told by a new law in California that they have to um, that they have to have a large sign advertising where women can get a low or free co- uh, abortion, low cost abortion with a big phone number, and they have to post it in their facility 
in order for them to continue with their nonprofit, non-subsidized ministry. They get no money from the government. It's a ministry. And they say, fine, you can do what you want. You can do it, inspire what you want. But you've got to say what we want, want you to say. Does that... I mean, everyone gets that. I mean, that's, that's outrageous in terms of First Amendment. As far as free speech, freedom of religion. It's like, if they get away with that, they can tell ministries to do that. They can tell this church. They say, yeah, you can maintain your your tax exempt status, but in order to do so, you have to have a big sign saying that you, have, that you discriminate and you're hiring based on sexual orientation and that, and that you're a hate-filled bigot or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is the... They can start, you know... Uh, they won't put on big yellow stars of David on your door, but practically it's the same kind of oppression, similar, similar kind of oppression that we see building, which should be very alarming. We are getting up from the Ninth Circuit. We had one, one of the judges was an activist for Planned Parenthood, you could tell. She was very hardcore. The other two, I don't know, but they're all three appointed by someone from a different perspective than mine. Uh, we had another case for the Ninth Circuit where we argued uh, against... Uh, a law in California also that bans those struggling with same-sex attraction or gender identity, both of which the American Psychiatric Association acknowledges can be very fluid well into, through adolescence and even into your 20s. Fluid, back and forth, back and forth. And yet they're saying you can't get counseling that is the counseling you want as a minor in accordance with your religious beliefs from a licensed counselor. It has to be from someone who's not licensed. Well, why should they have any less kind of a quality care and, and counseling than from someone who's licensed in a free country, free society. Two other states have already pa- passed that, Illinois and New Jersey. Governor of New Jersey signed that into law. And I hope he's not on the ticket. I'm just, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> really ticked off on that. Really t- put me, okay, I'm sorry. I, would, oh, I, I crossed the line. <laughs> I should not say that. So anyway, I'm sure he's a nice guy in many ways. All right. But um, so we had, those are like two major cases. Then we had a, a, um, another emergency case about, uh, this is the euthanasia, a little uh, toddler, uh, Israel, baby Israel. And he had a major, uh, major brain injury. He had asthma attack. And uh, they were going to pull the plug on him, pull the cord. Parents said, no, let's, we need to have outside opinion. He, the mother says, he's responsive to me when I'm talking. How can you say he's brain dead? I see him moving and responding to, to my voice. And so they videotaped it. And uh, we went to court. Judge said, okay, I'll grant you a couple days. They got, we got two uh, experts, neurological experts, to come in and say, this child is not brain dead. And so then we were called in, and we spent hours and weekend hours late into the night preparing the emergency briefing. We got a temporary restraining order, which only lasted like about uh, eight days. And then the judge says, I'm not giving any extension. You want to, to say, you want some uh, extension? Go to the Ninth Circuit, file, you have enough time to file an emergency appeal to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. You never get anything from the Ninth Circuit, hardly from an emergency, for seeking emergency injunctive relief. Because it's an emergency, so you just send it to them. And we sent it to them, and they miraculously looked at the evidence and said, this life needs to be, needs to be saved. We order it to be transferred to another hospital for, for care and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and therapy. And here's the good news. So it was a huge, long shot, hail Jesus pass. I'm not, I'm, I'm, anyway, Baptist, we say hail Jesus, okay. <laughs> anyway, so, um, anyway, so, and they granted it. And here's the good news, that the hospital has confirmed brainwave activity, has begun stimulative therapy, and in fact, when, when they played the little guy's um, favorite songs, they noticed him tapping his foot 
to the rhythm of the song. Mm. And that's not what you call Lazarus nerve impulses, like post. So it's been exciting, but we've got some major heavy, uh, heavy cases. And then, of course, the, 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 the bathroom uh, legislation, which is um, horrific as well. And we're, we're challenging that. I'd give more information later if you'd like on that. Okay. Um, and what we're, what we're dealing with. So, that's great. Uh, you know, speaking for everyone, I, I appreciate your passion. You know, the fact that you you care and and, and you see God's work in, in in what you're doing is is a wonderful thing. Before I open it up to to everybody, um, can you tell us how we can get involved as a church or individuals if we're so interested in the Pacific Justice Institute? Yes, and I thank you for asking that question. Uh, we greatly appreciate those of you who pray for our work. If you're, uh, there's a little white sheet in your bulletin. If you could, it means a lot to me if you could pull that, pull that out and fill that out. Uh, if you're a prayer warrior, and you are, if you, not everyone's a prayer warrior, okay? <laughs> but if you're a, really a prayer warrior and interceder, um, put, if you want to put prayer warrior at the bottom of it, uh, so we can add you to it. We have about 700 prayer warriors when we need just people to pray, and we don't want the world to know. We don't want, you know, not to the media. Uh, we have a tough case, oral argument, and we're, it's going to be, we have some issues, went prayer for. So put that on the bottom. Um, uh, also, we greatly appreciate those who support our work, of course. We're a nonprofit, 501c3. Um, we don't, uh, we're not wasteful with our resources. I don't have a private jet. Uh, I don't have a yacht. Uh, this morning, I ate at Taco Bell. I had an egg burrito on the dollar menu. Okay, it was healthy. I didn't have the cheese, all right, so you know. <laughs> So uh, we're very, very frugal in how we, we deal with our resources. We handle more case matters by God's grace on the West Coast than any other organization in the country, bar none. Uh, we're known as the doers, and that's why people support us, because they, they see our work and they say, we're, we're doing it. Uh, we're a team. Uh, I'm not building a Brad Dacus empire. Uh, I have a George Washington philosophy of management, not Napoleon. Napoleon was all about Napoleon. Uh, George Washington was all about building up and training others, and that's what we do. We have hundreds of volunteer affiliate attorneys that we bring in on cases, and we give them recognition and credit, and our in-house attorneys. Um, when we defended Pastor Rick Warren's ability to uh, give the invocation, he was sued. Uh, we were called the day before we went to, to, to trial uh, at, at the federal district court. Uh, we were called, and, uh, and we had to, I told my, our chief counsel, I said, get the next flight and fly there. Matt gets working on the brief, call our affiliate in D.C. and get it filed before the day's up. And Kevin said, Brad, this is a big case. It's a high media case. I said, you sure you don't want to do it? I says, Kevin, I want to win. You're going to do a better job than I will. You go. And that's the kind of team that we have at Pacific Justice. Um, so we do all our work without charge. And something else that's really interesting is that we, we don't just take on the high big game cases. We work hard to make sure that everyone gets help that no one is ever left on the side of the road if it falls on our mission statement. And, uh, and we also get involved in things that other people don't do, like we give emergency counsel to parents who have social workers knocking on their door, threatening to take their kids. A lot of kids are taken that should not be taken. They're put with couples that are not living the word of God. And so we give emergency counsel and have saved lots and lots and lots of children from being wrongfully taken by zealous social workers. And so we get involved in areas that others won't touch because there's no... I get, I don't say, I, for whatever reason, I'll just say they don't touch it. So that's sort of what makes us unique, and I love it if you guys would support us. I very much appreciate it, not required. If you don't support us, you need our help, that's okay, because our attorneys, are, we keep it separate, so they do not know who's supporting us and who isn't, including churches. 
So. Well, that's great. I mean, it, it's a wonderful reminder. I mean, um, Pacific Justice has prayer warriors, 700, that, that Brad said. And so the, 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 the importance of prayer, even on things that we sometimes wouldn't think about praying over, or court case, that's out of God's hands. We have the same opportunity when we face life issues within the body. We have a prayer chain. We have those within our body that are going to pray. So do not hesitate to lift up whatever issues that you have to the prayer chain, to those around yes. you, because God cares and he understands and he's not threatened by any of the issues that we face. So when I heard you say that, it's just, if it works for you, oh, you yeah. know, what you do, then it's just a reminder totally. for all of us that we need to do it and yeah. be consistent in doing that. Yeah, without prayer, support, um, we would be in a terrible position right now. I do not believe we would have all the victories that we've had. I, I just know we wouldn't without prayer support, like the homeschooling case. Mm. I mean, some of these cases, and it's really neat because God goes out of his way. You know, like Gideon, you know, like to make us outnumbered. So it's really clear who did the intervention. And that's what's one thing is when you're, when you're outnumbered, um, I think God is glorified all the more because there's no dispute as to where, where your deliverance came from. So, so pray, praying, though, as I get older I get, uh, the more uh, convicted I am on the need for prayer. And, uh, and for our nation as a whole, um, we are where we are, I believe, because we pray not. I believe if we prayed more, um, I think we'd have more grace, and we'd also be more inspired to, um, to abide in Christ. You abide in, with someone, by having fellowship with him, talking with him, prayer. And the more we abide in Christ, the more I abide in Christ, the more I see the love of Christ, and the more I'm sharing my faith, and the more evangelical. I mean, so, uh, so prayer is very, very powerful, and it's a big, big weapon that Satan doesn't want us to use. Amen. Amen. So let me open it up. Um, Stephen, whoever is, do we have any? Dave, anything? Um, we've got a couple questions. Okay. Can you use the microphone, though, Dave? Yeah. yeah. The media guys have all the power in the church. You didn't know that. Is but right. yeah. They are. Media is very powerful. <laughs> I like that tie. Looks great. No. <laughs> One you just gave me. I'll speak loudly. Thank you. Uh, so you talked earlier about uh, as, as believers, we need to care. We have a moral obligation to take part. So what would you say to somebody who felt like they had two candidates to choose from, but they didn't feel that either represented their faith and um, just didn't feel like they could faithfully choose either and feel good about oh. it? Would you say, don't take part? I read an article Russell Moore wrote about he would write in a candidate. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Oh, Nelly. Uh, that's my Texan coming out, by the way. I say, oh, Nelly. But, uh, yeah. Let me give you, an, like, let's give an, go back to, it's easy, it's hard when we're right in the middle of it to sort of objectively look at it. So let's go back in history. Let's say there's two people running for office. One is Adolf Hitler, and the other one is a, a liberal socialist who uh, is not for all the things that you, religious freedom. But you got one guy who you know is going to round up the Jews and persecute the Jews. And you got this one over here who's got some policies that you don't like it's kind of, uh, that are very extreme. They're both bad, bad candidates. Um, should you do a write-in candidate? Knowing that possibly that may mean that one of these two candidates may win by just one vote. 
i.e. Adolf Hitler may win by one vote. And if Adolf Hitler wins by one vote, who's the one that made the final decision for him to win by one vote? It's the person who decided not to vote for either. So when someone says, never candidate X, they're saying only candidate Y. And we are held responsible for that. Um, sometimes you choose the lesser of two evils. And um, it's like in, in, in uh, Egypt, when they're, they're going to, wanting to kill babies. They're, you know, the, and they, the, the, what did the mother, mothers do? They said, oh yeah, here's Junior, here's my, here's, here you go. I'm a, I, you know. No, what'd they do? They lied. They said, no, no, there's no baby here. No, 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 no. They put him in little baskets, put him down the river. His name was Moses. Yay. Um, if, because they did the lesser of two evils, and the greater harm would be the killing. Well, in this case, we have to do the lesser of two evils. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not delusional. <laughs> I, I was in New York. I, I heard a speaker. I mean, I, you know, I, I understand um, that I, I understand that, uh, that God uses people who are not necessarily believers who may have principles we stand for. A classic example is Abraham Lincoln. When he was elected president, he was not a believer. History makes it very clear. He was not a follower of Christ. He was not a Christian. He was a deist, but he was not, did not have a personal relationship with the Lord. When he got elected to office, but he was elected, why? Because the principles that he was aspiring were things that people, a lot of Christians said, were the right thing, were the right, was the right thing for the, to, to do. And, and then, of course, the pressure of the job forced him to his knees, and uh, he gave his life to Christ and, and leaned on Christ from that point on until his final death. And I think that, so I think the principles, and with the Supreme Court, it's just, to me, it's a no-brainer. You have to ask the question, who's going to put people on the Supreme Court that are protect the things that God says are important? Our ability to, to live our faith, to evangelize, to share our faith without losing our jobs, without having our kids persecuted and indoctrinated, um, without having our churches persecuted, and there's different ways that that's going to be happened with tax exempt status and things like that that are on the chopping block, will be on the chopping block. Um... So I think, and then the unborn, to me, that's a huge issue. I mean, I, I, I think when we, when, we, when we pull the lever in a voting, bo- voting box, we're also, in essence, potentially deciding lives that indisputably will be hanging in the balance by the Supreme Court. So to me, it's, it's pretty obvious. And once again, you're, you're going to be tempted with your own personal interests and entitlements or economic benefits or investments or tax benefits or non-tax. Those could be very relevant to you. But, but the, our love for God and his word and glorifying him in everything we do should trump that. And that includes people who are, will be righteous in how they do things in, with regard to justice on the Supreme Court. How do we say we care for the widows and the orphans and yet we, we vote for those who will not be caring for the widows and the orphans, whether it's euthanasia or indoctrination, or killing the unborn. Okay, that's my answer. Good question, Dave. Very good question. So we were going to pop up a question, or... The bullet vote? Oh. Oh, yes, that's a very good point. Let me just go back to World War II. Adolf Hitler, there's a lot of things I actually would have liked if I was a German. 
national patriotism, bringing people together. He was very pro-industry, pro-business uh, in a fascist way, okay? Uh, but creating jobs, I mean, um, technology advancement, I mean, a lot of great things actually were very, very beneficial to Germany. I just couldn't vote for him for one issue. It's called killing, the killing of, of innocent people. I couldn't do that. Now, people may say there's other issues that are important. You just have to ask yourself, is there anything to me, in my opinion, when it comes to saving human lives, being killed, the innocent being killed by the non-innocent, if you can give me another, something else that's parallel to that, we'll talk about it. That I don't see anything. Euthanasia, having elderly people, we've intervened and helped intervene, like with baby Israel. Yeah, but that's, that's right up there too. Saving people from being terminated early, prematurely. I had a lady on my radio show. The uh, guardian, state appointed, the guardianship that was appointed, recognized by the court, was going to have a lady uh, with, with morphine and, 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 t- and taken out, not even allowed to get up out of her bed in her home, the caretaker, because it, it was her time to go. The daughter says, what are you talking about? Don't give her morphine. She was up and walking around in the kitchen doing things she wanted to live. She lived a whole other year, had her 100th birthday. And yet they were trying to exp- expeditiously take her out. For, you know. So those are the kinds of issues that I think, if you can find me another issue that, that's parallel to that, and according to scripturally, let me know. But I, so I think that's, that's my answer. Good. We've got one on the screen. Must I be part of a specific party to faithfully represent the gospel? I could joke with this one, but I won't. Um, yeah, no, answer is no. No, I, um, uh, I used to think that differently um, when I was younger. Um, but uh, I think that um, uh, there are Christians that I know who are part of a, a, a party different than the one that I'm a part of. Um, and I tell them, I say, yeah, you can be a part of that party, um, but do not sacrifice the word and the truth of God. And those things that God says are not negotiable, you cannot negotiate. You should not negotiate on and be a positive influence to that party. Some places where there's only one party that gets elected, I say, great, run for office and be elected and be an influence in that um, and uh, for righteousness. And I've seen that happen before. Um, but generally, though, I think we need to, in all honesty and integrity, at the same time, need to be honest with ourselves as to what we believe and what we support and not to be delusional. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and historically, at different times, sometimes political parties, tweedledee, tweedledum, I mean, they're, they're very similar, and there's issues that are very gray. And as Christians, you could be on both sides of the issues. Other times in history, political parties have been very um, split and decisive, when it comes to biblical issues from a Christian worldview and perspective. And I believe that in our t- the day we are at today is much more of the latter than the former. And that's my personal perspective. Uh, but I know Christians can be a part of parties and for different reasons. And main thing is how they, is not never ever, no matter what party they're in, to ever compromise the word of God. Okay. Any hands or we could go to the next? Oh. I'm just wondering uh, if you could maybe clarify uh, parents' position uh, on abortion, what their rights are, if any, in the state of California, and I'm only hearing 
Yeah, what, what are parents' rights with regards to their, their abortion and their children's abor- uh, abortion? Um, that's a real good question. The, uh, right now, parents in California uh, really don't have much in the way of rights, uh, with the exception of public schools. Um, public school districts, some have different policies. We have been, we've got six school districts to change their policies. We want more to change their policies. Most of them have policies saying that a child can leave school without parental notice or consent and to get an abortion or to get abortifacients or birth control, and it's their right. And uh, it's, a, it's a very uh, inappropriate interpretation of state law. Uh, the word is may, not must. School districts, students may, but be granted this, but not must. And uh, we've gotten six, we went head-to-head with the ACLU on six different school districts. All six agreed to change their policies and go with us, which says no. School districts can require written notice and written consent except in medical emergency situations for a child to leave campus to go for medical services, for confidential medical services. And that is one area where, where on a local level, parents can actually make some major progress because that's often where it happens is in junior high and high school. Kids leave, parents don't know about it unless their child is permanently hurt or in one case died. Um, and then school districts have tremendous liabilities that, that we make them aware of as well as our desire to sue them. Um, it really helps. It really does. I volunteer at a, um, a pro, pro-life organization. Awesome. And, um, Wonderful. We have mobile And at the high school near Concord, the uh, city uh, had a mobile inside the gates of the school where the kids would go in and get whatever they needed as far as birth control or right. whatever else. We, of course, were not allowed to. Right. So we, had, we parked No, it does. It, it's tyrannical. And your school districts generally here in the Bay Area um, are not real parent-friendly. Uh, they have heavy indoctrination. Redwood, Redwood um, uh, in Oakland, it was, uh, Redwood uh, Heights Elementary School, they had two transgenders come into this campus, put on a presentation to first graders and kindergartners about how you can be a boy, a girl, both, or neither. And um, so the, the indoctrination is, is very heavy. Uh, one little caveat I want to mention before I, I want to make sure I get this in. Mm-hmm. Uh, something else God's put on my heart for us as believers to, to be relevant. We need to be praying. And 2 Timothy chapter 3 is great to look at because it says here's all the things that are, that are going to the last days. And it just parallels with where we're at. But you keep reading and God gives us the prescription of how we need to respond to it. To be in the word, uh, to preach the word. Uh, but also you see the word love in there. And um, I think we as Christians, part of the reason we're having our problems is because we've not been engaging and with, with non-believers, and particularly non-believers who are in the gay lifestyle, who are transgender. We've, it's uncomfortable. And I think it's very uh, critical for, our own, for churches avoiding persecution, which is very selfish. That should be our driving point. But also for the obedience, for the love of Christ, we need to be really compelled to reach out to these people and give them love and respect. Um, I once, real quick, I was in, down in Bakersfield about 15 years ago, spoke at a you know, rally, People got on stage with a big sign, you know, against me, and they got them off stage. And I said, they're the ones opposing freedom, and they're against liberty. We are the ones who are, rah! And I thought, oh, God, just love what I did there. He just, I got everyone all riled for freedom and liberty, religious freedom. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, was, I did it the, totally did it the wrong way. 
Fast forward to Yuba City. This is about four years ago. I'm speaking at a conference there, and um, a radical comes forward, starts screaming and yelling. And, uh, and I said, sir, I said, first, I just want to recognize you. I said, it takes a lot of courage to come up here and interrupt my speech like you did. I said, and I want to give you recognition for your courage and also your sincerity. I can tell right now you are completely sincere and you need to be respected for your sincerity. I said, but here's my problem. I said, these people brought me up here to get a speech. I'm only two-thirds of the way done with my speech. So if you could be gracious enough, let me just finish my speech. As soon as I'm done, I'm going to go in the back there and sit down and listen to everything you have to say. Would that work out? Would that be okay? He didn't know how to respond. He goes, uh, yeah. I said, wonderful. I look forward to talking with you. Thank you very much. Finished my speech. Go in the back there. Didn't run out the back door. No. Met with him. And three months prior to that, God gave me a question before this thing happened, which is, what would you do, Brad, if you were sitting right next to a homosexual or someone who's gay? Gay is a word that we're using now because it's not as, it's not seems derogatory, okay? Someone who's gay. Um, and the answer uh, was, I don't know. And it kept coming to my mind. It kept coming to my mind. And it was obviously God wanted me to answer that question. And he, started, he prepared me to how can I connect with this person with love and respect, but not, also not sacrificing the truth and the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. And that began uh, a number of things after that. Transgender demonstrating in front of our office. I said, I want to connect with this guy. Less than two weeks later, I'm sitting right next to him on a TV station. And they had a panel. And at the break, I took my Bible. I just hit, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> At the time of the break, I said, I said, this may sound strange. I said, but uh, Autumn, can we get together and visit um, afterwards? I really, I, need, I really want to understand you. I've never been where you are. Is that possible? He said, sure. So we visited for about three and a half hours. And he cried three times. And I just listened, which is hard for me to do because I'm a mouth, okay? So, but I listened. And at the end, he said, you know, Brad, you're really different than what I thought. And he said, I said, really? He says, I said, you mean I'm not the cold-hearted, hate-filled, right-wing extremist that, does, that, you know, that doesn't like these? Yeah, you're really different. I said, thank you. You're different, too, and left it at that. But, um, <laughs> but it, was, uh, it was neat, and I've stayed in contact with him. met with him again for breakfast. We, we call each other friends, and he's totally on the other side. And why? Is it because I should do it? No, it's because God's put it on my heart, and if I didn't, I would be miserable. And we, when God puts things on our heart, we're abide, trying to abide in Christ, which I don't do most of the time, I'll be honest with you. But we're abiding in Christ, and we're fellowshiping. And he puts things on our heart, puts people on our heart. We need to pray for them. We definitely should pray for them. And then we need to respond to that. And I think as a church, and I'm really excited because I see the Holy Spirit working on the body of Christ like never before, and pastors like never before with the conviction of the need to be reaching out. And, uh, and that's the work of God in the church, which I'm very excited about. Sorry I had to get that in there. But. No, please, thank you. Uh, they, and, and, and if God can do that through me, and I'm number four on the hate list, <laughs> Putin is number one, then, then he can work through anyone. Any more email or text questions? They have one, but I can't pass it fast. You might read it. Okay. Uh, turn on my own microphone. Uh, what if the more hateful, dangerous candidate, uh, the Adolf Hitler from your example, is the one who will also put better people in the Supreme Court. Um, what if they would, what if they, well, there is one, I, I'll be honest with you, um, there is a candidate that is very clear, the people that they will put on the Supreme Court. And it's very clear. It's not going to be people who believe in religious freedom. 
um, or the unborn. And there's another candidate who came out and has come out, and that person has said that they will, and here's a list of their 11 that they'll put on the court. And they're excellent, excellent judges. Now, could that, that person possibly lie? Could that person possibly, uh, yes, but in doing so, they would lose great trust and have a very angry Congress on their hands if they pulled such a stunt. So I have those two to choose from. To me, it's just very logical. It's, um, you know, am I counting on either of them to, to uh, minister to my children? Absolutely not. <laughs> would I let either of them babysit my kids? Absolutely not. So uh, actually, Sanders, I'd probably let babysit my kids than those two. But that's my, sorry. <laughs> he seems like a nice guy, but okay. Um, we, we have time for, for him, but one right. more short question or short answer. Um, if anybody has a uh, short answer, I got it. Okay. Yeah, please. It kills the grass. It kills the grass. And then a month later, they go ahead and do the musical park, and everybody's trampling on grass. Really? Yes. That's why they said, contact my office on that one. <laughs> yeah, they have to have a, a rational basis. I mean, they really can. Um, but see, we've seen this before. Yeah, yeah, I, I would love to. That would be. I hate to say it. My fangs grow when I hear those kind of stories. <laughs> so, yeah, please. I don't know if you remember that, but it brought a lot of people into church on Easter Sunday and that wouldn't normally have gone to church on Easter Sunday. Yeah. Well, you know, I'd love to help you on that. And um, also, uh, I don't have much time, but as far as the, the boy and the girl bathroom legislation, we're litigating to get that on the ballot. Hopefully 2018, we had a major breakthrough in our litigation recently, which is very hopeful. So please pray for that. Um, things are moving very fast. Uh, the transgender movement is moving much faster than the uh, gay rights movement. And I think after that, I think we'll probably have the polygamy uh, movement, which has already won its first case in uh, Utah. So um, there's a lot of stuff going on. But I just want to say this. As darkness increases, uh, light shines the brighter. And as persecution increases, the church shines the brighter as well uh, for several reasons. One is the wheat is separated from the chaff, so who are the followers of Christ is more defined. Uh, second, when we, are, um, when we are persecuted and in hard times, we're able to demonstrate the love of Christ in a way that is not seen when everything is good and wonderful and, uh, and how we exhibit ourselves. And, uh, and also, and third, we, we pray more and we're on our knees more. And when we do that, we abide in Christ. And when we abide in Christ... Uh, revival happens. So Satan d is doing what he's doing, but I think as we respond as Christians and followers of Christ, I think we could see a revival and explosion like never before, especially if we have hard times. Um, so I think it's a very exciting time that we're living in and definitely not one to be discouraged. If I'm not discouraged and I'm on the front line seeing the bombshells and seeing our Christian universities about to lose our Cal Grant funding uh, possibly days, days away, um, and we're going to be uh, litigating that too probably, uh, then uh, you guys should not be discouraged either. We have a great God, so.
And, and a great ending. Remember, after election day, take do what I do. Look at the book of Revelations, and you'll see everything is still there. Nothing's changed. And then relax. So. Well, that's great. Well, Brad, I can't thank you enough for, for joining us this morning. Um, as we close our time together, would you mind praying for us? And then I've got a little bit of business to do after Brad prays, but would you mind lifting up? Oh, you bet. You thank bet. You. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we, uh, we thank you and we praise you, Lord God, for all that you've given us, uh, Lord God, uh, just uh, the ability to, uh, to live for you, Father, um, but also, Lord God, the, the ability and the possibility of being able to, to die for you, if that's, what it, if that's what it boils down to, Lord God. Uh, Father, whatever it is, whether for living for you or dying for you, Lord God, we want you glorified in our lives. Father, uh, we pray, Lord God, that you will... Um, uh, inspire us, Lord God, to abide in you like never before. Uh, Lord God, to uh, let the love of Christ flow through us, Lord, like, by, like never before, Lord God. Not to be distracted by the things of this world and the worries of this world, Lord, to the point that we don't keep our eyes on you. Father, we pray for our nation. We, uh, we, we pray, Lord God, for you to be glorified and for uh, whether through blessing or through discipline. Uh, Lord, we know you will be glorified and we pray that your church, Lord, will shine uh, like never before and that people like never before, Lord God, will be brought to repentance and to come to you in a personal and real way. To know you not as, as, as a God of a, a theology or an institution of, of a, or a building, but someone who personally loves them and takes them right where they are to give them a new born-again life in Christ. We give you the praise and glory for what you're going to do because we, we know you're, you're going to, in the end, prevail. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you again. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you.